0: Hello again, my friend. Man, you are looking good today. How the hell have you been? It's been a long month since we last chatted here on the Stream Police Podcast. This monthly look into movies and television and music. All things streaming out there for you to watch. And, well, plenty of things that aren't streaming, but we're still going to talk about and uh, try to tell you ways that you can find them. I am Clint Davis, your humble host for this program. I talk about movies and TV Unfortunately, our good pal Andy Sedlak will not be joining us to talk music this month. As uh, he told you last time, he uh, got a new gig. He's moving up to Cleveland and uh, setting up his home studio and everything up there. So he's still kind of unpacking the boxes and just didn't have enough uh, time to, uh, to get around to it yet for this month. But we'll talk to him again next month and find out what he has been listening to. Uh, I made a big move in the last month as well. As I told you last time at the end of the episode, uh, Beth and I took a trip overseas to Ireland. And we were out there for about 10 days in uh, Ireland and in Northern Ireland. And uh, I gotta, I'm got going to take you kind of through some of the media things that I experienced while I was out there. Because there was plenty to take in that is different than the way we do things, of course, here in the States. But it is the 71st episode of the show. As I told you last week, 70 a round number, so you like that better. 71st just doesn't sound quite as good, but I'm proud of it nonetheless. Thank you for joining us once again here on the show, my good friend. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, M R Clint Davis, to see the stuff that I am watching as I watch it. I would love to hear your comments as well. Feel free, uh, feel free to message me anytime on there all right let me go ahead and get started as i always do lighten my stogie up here i'm sitting in my closet in columbus ohio right on the outskirts of the city and i like to sit in my closet smoke a stogie talk to you about movies and television but let's uh, let's get that uh let's get that stick going now here we go all right are we good i'm good you good all right we're good Before I get into some of the things that I saw in Ireland uh, that I think you're going to be very interested in, let's go ahead and get going, as we always do, with a look back through the history of television in a, a segment that we fondly refer to as the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. We've been doing it for 43 shows now. This is our 44th entry into the canon of greatest TV show theme songs. And you know what? In all those 43 past editions, we have never done a certain genre, a genre of TV that has had some of the greatest, most instantly recognizable theme songs in TV history. That would be the game show genre. Can you believe that we've never done a game show? 43 great theme songs from television history. I guarantee you, if I asked you, name like your 10, you know, favorite TV theme songs, at least there would probably be a game show in there. Like everyone loves the theme songs from Jeopardy and from wheel of fortune and i mean there's just been so many of them over the years and they're always kind of bouncy and hummable and and they're just there's a lot of great game show theme songs price is right great theme song there that's on the short list as well but we're finally going to do a game show on this uh, segment today so we're going to end that dry run of no game shows on this segment so for this week's theme we're going with a song that has been around since the early 1980s and i guarantee That if you've ever heard this song even once, like if you used to watch Game Show Network or maybe you watched this show when it was first on or you've watched the iteration that's still on today, you are going to instantly remember this song and be singing along with it right now. It is the theme song from CBS's The $25,000 Pyramid. Oh, my God, that horn section, the upbeat feeling it gives you. This whole theme just sounds like 1970s game show heaven, doesn't it? I mean, that was like the golden age of game shows, really. And if you were one of those people, like, do you remember when the Game Show Network first came out? I remember it. I think it was in the 90s uh, that it first started. I don't know. Maybe it didn't first start then, but that was when I I first saw it. And we used to go over to uh, my grandparents' house, and they had satellite TV. We didn't um, because they lived out in the country. So they had satellite TV, and they got the Game Show Network. I never seen the Game Show Network because you couldn't get it on regular TV. So I was like, what is this? And it was my stepdad's mom and dad who used to watch the Game Show Network all the time. And so I would see all these old game shows on there. And I heard all these great theme songs because they all had these great theme songs and they all had these cool premises and it was just kind of fun to watch them. I mean, These are just fun shows to waste your time uh, watching. But $25,000 Pyramid, that's just one of those themes that I just never got out of my head. And this show had a bunch of iterations over the years. It actually debuted in 1973 on CBS as the $10,000 Pyramid. So in 1973, 10000 a lot more appealing than if they did that show today. Dick Clark was the host. It had a different theme song, actually, which I listened to to see if maybe it rivaled this one, but it didn't. So I, I'm, going, I'm not going with that original theme song. So the show was an instant hit, and they would rename it the $20,000 Pyramid in 1976. They doubled the money of the contestants uh, because it was just so popular. It then went off the air in 1980, but people wanted it to come back. So it returned to CBS as a daytime series in 1982. Under the title, The $25,000 Pyramid, still with Dick Clark as the host, but with this brand new badass theme song introducing the new version of the show to everyone. Badass, probably not the right word for this song, now that I think of that. You know I mean? The badass was kind of more for like the Rockford Files, like we did last week, but... There's just something great about this song. It's just big and full and fun, and it's just like it sounds like great music to play. Like when you enter a room, like this could be your own your walk up music if you were going to be a great batter or something. I think it would be kind of fun. I don't know, but it's just it's a cool song. I don't know. It just sounds to me like the '70s, even though it was uh, written in the 1980s. The show, um, the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid, has been revived several times since 1982 when it was updated, and it was retitled The $100,000 Pyramid in 1991, which it still remains today. And right now, you can actually see it on ABC, hosted by Michael Strahan. So the current version of the show uses a re-recorded version of this theme song that we're talking about right now, further proving how timeless and how great this theme is. Remember, it first was used in 1982. We're in the year 2019. This is still... Dick Clark is long gone. Like, this is still the theme song that they're using for the show, that's how great a theme song this is. So this song was written by a composer named Bob Cobert. And he wrote a bunch of TV music back in his day, just like all the composers that we talk about on this segment usually do. Usually they're they're just great veterans of writing TV music. You know, it doesn't come out of nowhere that you can come up with a great TV theme song usually. So he became a big name for doing the music for the blockbuster 1983 miniseries, The Winds of War, which obviously came out just a year after he would have done this theme song. I still need to see that miniseries, by the way, The Winds of War. I've never seen that one. It's been on my list for a while. But anyway, Bob Cobert wrote the music for a bunch of like old, you know, beloved kind of cult dark series like Kolchak the Night Stalker, uh, which is where David Chase used to write. I believe it's kind of where he got his start and Dark Shadows, which is a classic, uh, you know, gothic soap opera. He did some music for those shows, but he also did some really memorable game show theme songs in addition to doing the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid. So Bob Cobert also did the theme song to "To Tell the Truth," another one that I would consider one of the best theme songs ever. He did the theme song for "Password," uh, both of those were in the 1960s uh, as well. So before he ended up getting this gig to do the Pyramid, so when he did get the job, he was already a veteran of game show themes, and I think it shows because this is just a masterpiece. <laughs> This song lives on to this day, like I said, as the theme to the current $100,000 pyramid, and can also be heard almost daily if you're a fan of sports talk radio. If you ever listen to the Dan Lebatard show on ESPN Radio, it's the highest rated you know, sports radio show in the world, so it's a very popular show, but... If you listen to that show, you'll hear this song almost daily because they use the song to cut in whenever Dan starts to talk about something sensitive or controversial, like if he starts to talk about racism or something like that, something that the ESPN brass wouldn't want him to talk to. They'll play this song like very intrusively and very loud, and it gets the and he has to stop talking about it and move on to something more benign, like what's your favorite color or something like that. So. Uh, You'll hear this song on there plenty. The whole crew of the show sings along with the famous horn line whenever it comes on, just like you've been doing this entire time, I'm sure. It's the first game show theme that we have ever inducted into the canon, but it will certainly not be the last. I'll tell you that much, my friend. The 1982 Opening theme song for the $25,000 pyramid. That's our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Bob Cobert, man. I wonder if when you write a song like that, do you feel like, like, I don't know, how did Beethoven feel when he wrote, you know, the Fifth Symphony? Did he did he kind of put his feet up and, and and it was like, I'm done. It's over. Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of the way I imagine Bob Cobert had to feel when he wrote the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid theme song. I mean, hell, I'd put it right up there with Beethoven. Come on. All right. So as I said, last time uh, we spoke, I was going to be taking a trip. Beth and I were going to be going to Ireland and uh, our first trip overseas, we went to the Caribbean when we had our honeymoon all those uh, years ago. Um, but we had never been, but I, I don't really consider the Caribbean, I don't really consider that to be like world travel because pretty much everyone there is American um, as far as the other people that are, it's all tourists mostly. I mean, there are, there are people that live there obviously, but most of the people there are tourists. You know, everyone obviously speaks English and um, it's just a place that's kind of, dominated by Americans. So it's to me, you know, doesn't feel like I really traveled the world. But so we were like, we want to go somewhere. And, you know, we we chose Ireland, not for any reason, like we don't have family from there or anything like that. It's just beautiful country. Um, interesting history. And, uh, you know, not a very long flight. It's like a five hour flight from the US. So those things were all appealing to us on our first trip kind of overseas. We'll get a little more ambitious next time. But uh, Ireland was beautiful. If you do follow me on Instagram, you've been seeing plenty of pictures of some of the things that we saw and did while we were there. Um, or if you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, just, I've been writing a lot about it and and posting pictures of it. And, uh, it was just, it was a great trip all the way around, but I wanted to talk to you specifically about the aspect of it that, you know, we talk about on this show, which is media. So things are different, in Ireland and and over in any overseas country, things are going to be different than the way they are in the United States, especially when it comes to their media. So, first thing I noticed, we're on the plane trip over there, and the airline we flew on was this airline called Aer Lingus, and it was it's like the official airline of Ireland. I don't know if it's like run by their government or what the deal is, but it's like described as their official airline. So. Anyway, we're on the plane. Very nice plane, nice flight. Whatever. They give us little headphones to watch movies with, and all the movies are free and all that stuff. So, I decided to watch the movie Sideways. I hadn't seen it in a while. I forgot how much I love that movie. Really funny. I, I used to like that movie a lot. I still do, uh, but I'd just forgotten how much I like that movie. And it just is one of those that two hours will just zoom by, and you know, you've kind of, uh, you just kind of get lost in it. It's just a really great, funny movie. So I watched Sideways and it took me about 20 minutes into it. Sideways is one of the, is an R-rated, you know, comedy, so it's got plenty of R-rated stuff in it. But it took me about 20 minutes into it to realize that this was the censored version of the film. And it happened when I was watching a scene where Thomas Hayden Church's character is telling Paul Giamatti's character that he needs to get him laid. That's what he says. He's like, "I'm I need to get you laid. You need to get laid." But in the version that I was watching, the lips, you know, didn't match up at all, and he was saying, I need to get you loved. You need to get love. And it sounded, you know, really bad like those always do. It was like, I need to get you loved. You need to get love. And it was, you know, really, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm watching this censored version of this movie. I didn't realize that. And so for the rest of the movie, you know, I was painfully, it was painfully obvious, but it was still, you know, great. Just, it's, it's a cool movie if you've never seen it. Anyway, and if you like road movies, especially buddy, buddy films, um, really cool and it'll make you just want to drink wine all the time that's basically all that movie will make you want to do so like i said this is like ireland's official airline and i know ireland the people of ireland don't have a stick up their ass but the you know government of ireland has kind of famously had a little bit of a stick up its ass and its close you know relationship with the catholic church and it's you know i mean people couldn't get divorced in ireland until like the 1990s legally you know things just things like that have existed in Ireland. So it's not always been, like, the most free and open place in the world. So I'm not sure if if they do that to all the in-flight movies. I don't know if they, like, since, like, if you can't watch the R-rated, uncut versions of movies, because Sideways, Sideways was the only one I watched, but I'm like, why would it be censored? I just didn't understand. It didn't make any sense. So, uh, I, again, I don't know if that's something they do to all of them, but it was something that happened with the movie I was watching, and I was kind of surprised by that another one of the movies that you could have watched was the big lebowski and i ended up being kind of um, upset that i didn't watch it because i wanted to see if the greatest example of tv censorship for a movie ever was used when uh on tv viewings of the big lebowski if you've ever seen one you know they turn this line this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass larry into this line see what happens when you find a stranger in the alps so that was kind of my first thing on the way over there watching sideways it being censored and not even being able to say the word laid laid like he wasn't even he he wasn't even cursing he was just saying i need to get you laid i need to get you love i mean come on so i was a little like taken aback by that but all right so we get to ireland we decide to rent a car so i'm driving the, the rental car And I ended up driving it a lot during the time we were there. We drove kind of all across this, you know, beautiful country. But one thing I noticed, and I enjoyed listening to their radio stations, but they didn't have that many of them. Like, it was very few, especially when you got out kind of farther away from Dublin. There weren't that many radio stations. There were probably only, like, four FM stations. And they were basically all pop. Like, you couldn't really find any other genres. You could find classical you could find one sometimes that was playing like irish traditional kind of music so i'm sure there's definitely people that are that you know want to listen to that probably older people i'm imagining in ireland but then the other stations were just pop stations pretty much like and there was one like classic rock kind of deal it was like 80s rock american stuff but i didn't hear like a country station which i was surprised to hear because i know that music is popular there American country music and Irish country music as well. They have their own kind of country uh, music, but I didn't find a station that played it. So I don't know. That, but it was, and there were a lot of talk stations as well. But so on their pop radio stations, and we were listening to like BBC Radio 1, which was one of the big ones that we would get everywhere. Um, and there was another one, I can't remember the name of it. It was an Irish station that broadcast out of Dublin, but it was a pop top 40 kind of station. So, you know, they were playing all the stuff you would expect and their DJs were good. But then, At the top of every hour, they would do, like, a serious news break for, like, five minutes. And this was on all the stations that I listened to, pop top 40 stations, everything that I heard. A hard news break at the top of the hour that went on for, like, four or five minutes. And I was just taken aback because they were really good news breaks. Like, it was good information. It um, wasn't—and it was, you know, a mix of different types of stories, sports, entertainment— Hard news, you know, politics stuff, whatever. Talking about Brexit and things like that, obviously. Local news. But I was just like, this is a top 40 radio station. I could not imagine a news break happening on a top 40 radio station in the United States. People would go nuts. Like, a program director would never let that happen. Um, And it would turn off probably so many listeners to have that in the middle of while you're listening to, you know, like Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift to have it all of a sudden go to let's do five minutes of news. But I really liked it. I was like, man, these people are, you know, more informed, I guess. I mean, even if you're just listening to what's usually considered the most vapid kind of radio station that you can listen to, um, you're going to hear the news stories that you kind of need to know about. And I just thought that was crazy. I hadn't um, I'd ever heard really anything like that in the United States on specifically a top 40 radio station. It's just not something you would hear. Today. So I was kind of proud of uh, Ireland in that way for for uh, doing their radio stations that way. I think they're doing their the listeners a service. And they did have commercials still. It wasn't like a public radio station. It was uh, just part of their programming. They had news breaks at the top of every hour, which, again, I was surprised by it. Anyone who's worked in radio, I know Andy will probably be surprised to hear that as well. I mean, it's just one of those things you can't really imagine. All right, but let's get to television in Ireland. So we get to Dublin um, you know, we're just dead ass tired pretty much, you know, every night from walking all over this city and do, seeing so many things, doing so many things, drinking plenty of beer. And so we're really tired. So we ended up going to bed pretty early every night because the bars over there, like all of them close at 11, on the weekends, they'll be open till midnight, but you're not, you don't, bars aren't open till 2 AM over there. So everyone kind of wraps things up early when you're in um, Ireland. And, we did the same thing. We were going to, we were going back to the hotel and, and kind of going to bed like 10, 11 o'clock. I think we did it at nine a couple times and we would kind of lay there and watch TV. But it was fun because I was enjoying watching, you know, the different TV channels that I would never get to see over here. So we had all the classics like BBC One and Two. Um, we had, you know, Channel Four and all the, the, kind of extra channels that go along with Channel 4. And we had their little, like their versions of PBS kind of stations uh, for Ireland specifically. People were speaking Irish and um, on some of those channels, and so that was pretty cool. Uh, but we found a certain show that just captivated us the entire time we were there. It was on Channel 4, and it was a show, ladies and gentlemen, called Naked Attraction. And it came on one night, just happened to be in bed, flipping through channels. I knew Channel 4 because I've watched shows like The Inbetweeners, which I think I've talked about on this before. The Inbetweeners, to me, is like one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. And I know Channel 4 kind of has a reputation as being like the hipper version of BBC in Ireland and in the United Kingdom. Um, That, you know, kind of younger people watch it. It's a little bit more edgy content than is on BBC, and uh, which BBC has a reputation of being kind of for old people to watch. Like, it would be like CBS compared to Channel 4 being kind of more like an FX or an HBO or something like that. So, we are watching Channel 4. Naked Attraction comes on. And this was when I was really, you know, introduced to how liberal they are in Europe with nudity on television. Because, like I said, the show's called Naked Attraction. Premise of the show is we get a single person who has signed up to be on this show and what they are they get to do is they get to pick from i can't remember if it's 5 or 6 5 or 6 suitors men or women depending on you know what they like there were you know women who picked women there were men who picked men there were men picking women women picking men whatever there would be you know 5 or 6 of them in these colorful boxes and they would be fully naked and the box would kind of lift up and so you would at at first just see like everything below the waist all right and then it would and then the contestant would cut a person and then it would raise up a little more and you'd see the chest area and everything below the waist and then they would cut somebody from that so it was all based on like specifically how their naked body looks to me and then it would raise up and you would hear their voice and then you'd pick kind of based on that. And you would see their face and you'd pick based on that. And then it would finally, like, you'd, you would uh, be told who they are, what their job was, where they lived. And you would pick kind of the, between the final two based on knowing a little bit more about them. So the whole idea of it was, like, what is attractive to you? And you're going to see them naked right away, so a lot of the pressure is off of being on the date. And the person who is picking also had to get fully nude when, they, when it came down to the final round and they had to pick between the final two, so all three of them are just standing there fully nude. And this show is 100% uncensored. So everything, again, this is it, this show I looked into a little bit more, it airs in the safe harbor hours, which are like after 10 o'clock, so that's why sometimes in America even you can have shows that air after 10 that use words that you would never hear on shows that aired before 10 o'clock. And you're like, oh, how are they able to get away with saying that? Because it's a safe harbor thing and, and the FCC doesn't they relax the rules when it you know is, is late at night. So, but this is like extremely relaxed because obviously you're talking about fully nude close ups on like penises and close ups on vulvas and close ups on breasts and you know and on their ass and everything else like really close up stuff. This is an hour long show, so you get a lot of looks at all these naked people and. Beth and I just had so much fun watching this show and kind of being like, well, who would you pick? Who do you like out of these? And, and like, you know, disagreeing with the contestant or agreeing with them. And, you know, we, we got really into it. We thought it was really fun to watch. It was just a fun show to watch. So every time it was on, we must've, we watched four episodes of it in the 10 days we were there. And that was just from being lucky to catch them on TV. We didn't have them on, you know, DVR or anything like that. It was just like, we were, we'd be at, Uh, in the hotel at night we'd be like is Naked Attraction on we got to find it and so we saw like four episodes Uh, but the show's been on for several years like I said I looked into it a little bit it's it's pretty popular uh, in the UK Uh, it has you know drawn a little bit of controversy of course from the usual kind of prudish groups that would never allow something like that to air in America but it's basically like did you ever see Naked and Afraid like I've never watched that show but I always would see commercials for it and it's all blurred out and I'm kind of like well isn't the point of the show to like you want to see them naked like isn't that kind of half the the appeal why do I want to watch blurs for the whole time I'm watching this show and it's like that but if it aired in Britain they would really or in Ireland they would really show everything and it just makes the whole thing even more interesting and it makes it more comfortable to talk about and look at and more natural so it was just fun, man. I just couldn't believe it. I'm watching this dating show where everyone's just absolutely naked and they're just talking about nudity and they're talking about, you know, various sizes of different things and this was like a very body positive show. It had all kinds of different body types. It wasn't the usual people you see on a reality dating show in America where everyone's like really good looking, really skinny. Everyone's had you know plastic surgery and all this stuff. There were a lot of very natural looking um, bodies on there that I think if they did this show in the United States, and frankly I'm shocked that they haven't yet, uh, I would think that a show like this would be so good on like Cinemax or something like that, Showtime, somewhere where they could show the nudity. Uh, I would think that this show would do really well in the United States, but it would probably be a lot of faker looking people, and you know it would just be a bunch of people live in L.A. probably so. Uh, but instead, this show was kind of people from all across England, really, who were on this series. So it was, a, it was kind of a cool show to hear people talk about their bodies honestly and to kind of dissect other people's bodies. You know, it gets a little uncomfortable at times, but it was just a fun show to watch and the way they do it was interesting. And, you know, you're looking at naked people. Who doesn't like that? It's kind of fun. So Naked Attraction, if you ever are in Britain and you get a chance or you're in Ireland, watch naked attraction because i think you'll be kind of shocked at what they allow on tv and what we don't so but i did try to figure out if we could watch episodes of it on demand because channel 4 has them on demand but you can't watch them outside of uh, the united kingdom or ireland so it's uh, kind of a bummer we don't get to watch them okay so here you
1: are only one of you can go on that date but before louise decides you guys get to see her without her clothes on. OK, Louise,
0: come on out, my love. How do you feel about the fact that she's got pubic hair? Are you, are you OK with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that, as long as it's not crazy bush, which it's not, so... <laughs> you can manage with, with the uncrazy bush. Mark, are, are you all right with, with pubic hair? Because you don't see it often these days.
1: No, um, everything's all in the potion, got no qualms.
0: No qualms. Like, <laughs> I've got no qualms. What do you like about your body? Um, I quite like my lower legs. I think they've got quite a nice shape to them, and I think my boobs have quite a nice size. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very perfect in every way. Oh, thank you.
0: But European television, and a specifically British television, which was most of the stuff we were watching, was British TV. It wasn't Irish TV. Not a lot of it, anyway. Most of it was British TV. You think of British TV, you usually, I think, have a kind of a, uh idea in your head about it being a little, um, I don't know, intellectual. Stuffy is probably not the right word, but, you know, that those are the kind of things you usually think of. I think you think a lot of those detective procedurals. You think of the, the stoicism. You think of, like, maybe... Um, You know, shows like BBC Sherlock and stuff like that. Those are the kind of things that I typically think of when I think of British TV. But I have to say they have a lot of trashy TV over there as well. Bunch of like celebrity reality shows. And it's a bunch of celebrities that you and I don't know, obviously, because they're, you know, British celebrities and they're like minor celebrities. It's like when we do celebrity reality shows and. You're lucky if you've heard of two or three of the people, but they had a bunch of them. Like I just kept seeing ads for like celebs on the farm and it was like who can be the best farmer out of these celebrities? Or there's a show called Celebs Go Dating, I think was what it was called, and they it's like celebrities doing having a first date and dating someone and you know, and so there's a lot of this kind of lazy stuff, but there were some really kind of interesting reality shows on there as well. There was one that took place in a sex clinic and it was a real sex clinic. And they had these three trained doctors, you know, in sex, they were like very young and kind of hip doctors. So it wasn't like, you know, like the old white guy in a lab coat, three of these doctors and they would have real people come in. They would talk about whatever's been going on in their sex life, um, of various ages and why they were coming into the clinic. And, um, you know, I mean, it was brave for these people to go on this show and kind of talk about this stuff. And they would, you know, say that I think maybe I have an STD, I'm not sure, or I might have, you know, gotten one because I was careless in this way. And they would give them a test and they would reveal the results. And, but it wasn't like a Mori kind of thing where the audience is there and everyone's like oohing and eyeing. It was, you know, private in a doctor's office, but there's a camera there and everyone's very open about their sex lives and the dangers of it and also the great things about it. And so it was just kind of a cool show, and it was, again, the kind of thing that I wouldn't imagine being on American TV except for maybe on, like, MTV late at night back in the day. It made me think of, like, Loveline. It made me think kind of of that uh, back in the day on on MTV with Dr. Drew and, and Adam Carolla. That was a classic when I was growing up. I remember watching Loveline, and I had never heard anyone talk about sex openly and and talk about it not as a scary thing but as just a thing that's fun but also can be dangerous if you're not doing it the right way. Uh, that was the big show for me. It was Loveline. Uh, but this show kind of blew me away as well because it was just educational, informative, entertaining, and very honest. And uh, I was I was impressed by it. It was a cool show. Uh, but there was also one that caught our attention called Gogglebox. And this is a show that I cannot believe has not been replicated in the United States. Because it would have to be so easy and cheap to make, and it's thoroughly entertaining, um, and it's really kind of just fun to watch. So anyway, Gogglebox is this show—terrible name for a show—but it's a it's a TV show where they set up cameras like in the, there's like six or seven different couples, families across Britain who get a camera, put in their living room, kind of right in front of them as they watch like the big TV shows of the week that are on. And then this show is just basically them watching the show, making their comments. They show you the clips from the show yourself and then they give you kind of their reaction. And these people are, you know, funny. They're just regular people reacting to this stuff or they seem that way anyway. I don't know if it's scripted, but it certainly seemed unscripted. And it's a regular cast of regular people who just watch TV and comment on it. So it's almost like a podcast or something like that, but on TV. Um, And like I said, I cannot believe this has not been done in the United States. I mean, rights issues maybe could be, but I don't think rights would even be an issue because it would just be fair use copyright because they're commenting on whatever they're watching. They're showing clips from other shows and uh, people are reacting to them. So it would be like... There were all kinds of different shows that they watched and commented on. They were commenting on reality shows. They were commenting on the news. Like they would show a serious news story and then give their kind of funny, honest reactions of these working class people as to what the news stories were uh, from various angles. And they were watching scripted shows. So, I mean, it would be like if Gogglebox existed in, in the United States, you'd have a clip from like, you know, Sunday Night Football. And you'd have these guys talking about what they saw in Sunday Night Football, what was stupid. And then it would go from that It's a half-hour show. So then they'd do that for like four or five minutes. And then they'd go to some big news story of the the week. And they'd show like a CNN clip and then they'd have people talking about it. And then they'd go from that to like a, a couple watching American Idol or something like that and making a comment on that. And they'd go from that and they would have a couple watching stranger things or something like that. And they would make comments on that. So it's really just a show that could exist anywhere easily, easily done, cheaply done, entertaining. Um, and also is acts as advertisement for the shows that are put on it and shows you kind of the big moments of the week. So I'm shocked that this show has not been done in the United States yet. They even had a celebrity version of it where they had like D list celebrities, again, watching TV, watching shows, and uh, having uh, their comments on stuff. So they had a celebrity version and a regular version, but I liked the regular version better. The people were just funnier. But yeah, we we liked that one too. That was good. It was, again, it was called Gogglebox. So there were some shows that really impressed me with just how different they are from what we usually see on television and what you may usually think of when you think of European TV. Um, but these were entertaining television shows. I didn't watch celebrities on the farm, and I didn't watch celebrities go dating. Those sounded really stupid to me, but... Naked Attraction and the Sex Clinic Show and Gogglebox, I was totally into them. I'd watch them if I lived in uh, the UK. I think I would, uh, I would definitely check them out or if I lived in Ireland. So anyway, that was kind of uh, our trip in media. Those were the things that we watched, things we listened to uh, that I was like, man, I got to tell my friends at the Stream Police Podcast about this. And in a little bit, I'll talk about a movie that I saw while we were over there. Of course, we had to go see a movie. Check out a little Irish theater, and uh, I'll talk about that, watching a movie about the United States with an Irish audience uh, and hearing their reactions to how ridiculous we are over here. We'll talk about that in uh, a little bit.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: So like I said, I'm not uh, passing it over to Andy because he is away this month, but Fear not, I'm still going to give you five songs to add to your playlist because it is the never-ending perfect playlist. You can find the whole thing on Spotify. If you just search Stream Police, uh, you can find it. It should be the first thing that comes up. The Stream Police Podcast Five Songs Playlist is actually what the full name of it is on Spotify, but you can just search uh, Stream Police Podcast and it should be the uh, only thing that comes up for you, I'm guessing. So anyway, let me add my five songs to the list. Hopefully... Uh, Andy will approve, but if he doesn't, hey, tough, man. So first I'm going to give you a song from one of the best albums in recent memory, Channel Orange from Frank Ocean. This uh, That record is full of great cuts. You can just pick any one you want and, uh, and and let it ride. But uh, one of my absolute favorites from that album and one of my favorite songs in recent memory also is this song. It's called Sweet Life. Sweet Life Sticking with the Franks, I'm going to go from Frank Ocean now to Frank Zappa. And Zappa, very well known for putting together some of the best bands, like just virtuoso musicians and um, just very serious people with instruments. He put together so many great bands in his career. And one of the hottest bands that he ever put together was the one that he was using in the 1980s when he recorded the live album Does Humor Belong in Music in New York. And... Uh, I'm going to pick this version of the song, Trouble Every Day, which is a classic Zappa tune, but he kind of rewrote it for like the 1980s MTV generation. Um, it had still, still the same themes, but he updated the lyrics and updated the sound of the song. And this is my favorite version of that song. It's uh, live in 1984, Trouble Every Day by Frank Zappa. <laughs>
1: Cops out on the street I watch them throwing rocks and stuff And choking in the heat
0: Let's go over to country music. I'm going to give you one from Sammy Kershaw, one of the most hillbilly songs of all time. Queen of my double-wide trailer. Well, a
1: few nights later, I run into her With some stranger on a park bench She said he rebuilds engines and his name is Earl charlotte daniels of the torrent Bridge i whispered honey let's just go on home and have some onion rings and watch tv and as i walked her to the truck her
0: All right, let's take it back to the 80s now. I'm going to give you my favorite tune that Hall & Oates ever recorded, and I know Andy is a fan of this one because he's actually the guy that introduced me to this song. I had never heard it till one fateful night we were uh, out going to a party um, up north of Dayton, and uh, we were all dressed kind of in Hawaiian clothes. It was like a luau party in the middle of the winter. They turned up the heat in the apartment where the uh, party was, so everyone wore uh, warm clothes. We had Hawaiian shirts on. Uh, we had some beers ready to go, and um, uh, this song came on on his radio, and uh, he cranked it up. And it's just one of those moments of listening to a song that you know it's just etched into your memory. And I still love this song every time it comes on. I crank it up. It's one of the ultimate nighttime jams. It's Adult Education by Hall and Oates. And finally, I'm going to give you a little indie cut from the last uh, year or so. I think it came out last year. Uh might have been this year, actually. Anyway, the band is called Snail Mail, and I've really gotten into this band uh, in the last few months. I just love everything I've heard by them. The uh, lead songwriter and guitar player and singer in the band is this uh, young woman, really young woman. She was like writing songs in high school and then... Uh, got a record deal and, um, you know, had been kind of an independent musician when she was in high school. But now I think she's 18 or 19 years old and is, like, just this master in the studio and this really sharp songwriter. And uh, I love pretty much everything I've heard by them. But this song, Heat Wave, really blew me away. I just uh, – the longing in her voice is just one of those things that is just kind of, like, painful to listen to but beautiful. And she, th- this band really rocks, man. She's really cool. So, Snail Mail, anyway, the song – is called Heat Wave. Those are my five songs added to the playlist. Check it out on Spotify, and we'll see what Andy has to add next month. All right, let me uh, get to a movie that we saw while we were in Ireland. As I said, while we were over there, we made it a point to uh, actually our first night in Dublin. We didn't have any plans for the night. We had gone to the Guinness Brewery toward that. We went to this nice little kind of hipster neighborhood, had a really good dinner, had some drinks. And it was still, it was only about... Eight thirty, nine o'clock, so we're like, well, what are we going to do now? So we looked at there was actually an art theater, an art house theater, really close uh, to where we were having our drinks, and it was like, you know, just a little bit of a walk over there, and so we checked the show times, and there happened to be a documentary showing that both Beth and I thought sounded really interesting, so it was like, why not? Let's go to uh, check out a little movie theater while we're over here and go see uh, a good-looking documentary. So the movie which is in theaters right now, is called Hail Satan. And it actually has a question mark at the end of it. So it's actually like Hail Satan, I guess, is how you would say the title. But anyway, I'm just going to call it Hail Satan, no question mark. And what this is about, great title, first off, and a great cover as well, a great poster, which was like this, you know, really kind of eerie-looking goat head uh, on, uh, I think it was the Statue of Liberty, on the Statue of Liberty's face, And uh, again, the title Hail Satan right there at the top. So it just kind of stops you in your tracks when you see it. And so this movie is about essentially the First Amendment. And it's about America's freedom of religion and why that is such an important thing that has been ignored in recent years by, curiously enough, religious people. Religious people are the ones that have kind of taken advantage of the freedom of religion and have kind of... You know, used it. Uh, The Christian right, especially you'll see in this movie, have used it to kind of shove religion down people's throats when the whole point of the United States is that, you know, you're supposed to be able to get away from religion. I mean, these guys didn't want a church to run the state. So that's, you know, why that was the first thing they put in there. And, you know, I mean, none of the founding fathers weren't particularly religious guys. They just weren't, especially guys like Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. They really weren't these big religious guys. Even George Washington wasn't. So it's, uh, you know, become a myth over the years that these guys were these religious guys that they made us say, uh, in God We Trust and all that, when that was stuff that actually didn't come out until the 1950s uh, and be put on our money, and the Pledge of Allegiance, and they added the One Nation Under God part again, that was in the 1950s. So these are all things that you you learn when you're watching this movie. These are things I already knew, um, and you may have already known, but these are things that are will be in the movie. So if you need kind of a refresher on where the just over the top religious nonsense in the United States has come from it came from really the 1950s and 60s the cold war the fear of communism the fear of the godless russians uh it did not come from the 1770s when the founding fathers were laying out the framework of the uh the you know kind of rules and laws that we still live by to this day for better or worse so Hail Satan goes into that. That's the the point of the movie. It's a big, you know, huge topic to kind of take on in a 90 minute documentary that is a little bit funny in its execution. But what the movie focuses on is it talks about the rise of Satanism as a religion in the United States and the various kind of ways that Satanism has been attacked and the people who have run it and the kind of what Satanism really is. And what you find out in this movie is that Satanists are not like, they don't actually worship Satan. Like they're, they pretty much all of them are atheists. So all of them think that religion in general is not real and is stupid. And the only reason that they called it, you know, Satanism was really to kind of rile people up. And also because they just needed something, you know, that they could kind of point to the, to say that this was what we're worshiping. But they really weren't worshiping Satan. It was just um, a counterculture kind of thing. And Satan is, you know, cool. And he's obviously the antithesis of all the other religions and what they try to preach as good. And, uh, you know, Satan is the opposite of that. So they wanted to be the opposite of that. So that's the point of it. So you really learn a lot about the the movement that that is Satanism, that was Satanism. And it is something that still exists to this day. And what these people really are, like, true believers in the First Amendment, they, what they exist to basically do is challenge states who try to enact laws that have to do with religion, where making it um, to where kids have to pray in a classroom, uh, or things like putting the Ten Commandments on your capital grounds and paying for that with taxpayer money, things that obviously fly in the face of the First Amendment. Like, you can't do that. That's the whole point of the separation of church and state. You can't have the Ten Commandments hanging outside of, uh, you know, a courthouse or a place that's a public law building or a public, you know, a public building, I should say, just any kind of public building, because it's supposed to be a place where all people feel welcome. And if you're not a Christian, then you don't feel welcome when you see a big list of rules that say things like, you know, you can't take the Lord's name in vain. What does that even mean if you don't believe in God? I mean, that doesn't mean anything. So it's just stupid to even see it. Um, And it's kind of, it it just makes you mad really, because it's like, well, I mean, who are the people that believe this? I mean, that's great for them, but, you know, I mean, if I want to see this kind of stuff, like that's the kind of things that they do in fundamentalist uh, Muslim countries. And those are the kind of things that, that people in the religious right want to do here. And they think it's okay here, but they think it's stupid when, you know, people that are, are Muslims do it. So it's just, it, it's really, you know, it's stupid when anyone does it, when they try to force it on anyone else. So like I said, this movie is all about the First Amendment. It's all about the freedom of religion, freedom from religion, freedom of religion, no matter what it is you're believing in. Um, and it's all about Satanism and what it really is. And this movie shows you that really, if you are someone that believes in the Constitution, if you believe in freedom of speech and stuff like that, you have a lot in common with these people who identify as Satanists. And what their kind of tenets of their religion are, you know, are like believing facts only and things that can be proven and not trying to bend facts to fit what you believe. It's basically the point of it is it doesn't matter what you believe. It only matters what's true. That's kind of the main tenet of being a Satanist. And, I mean, who could disagree with that? Like, what's... um, What's bad about that? There's nothing bad about that at all. It's, it's kind of, it could be scary, I guess, to consider throwing a blind belief out and only going with what can be proven. That could be kind of a frightening idea for some people, I guess. But who can really disagree with it at this point in human society? I mean, after uh, all the problems that just blind belief in anything have caused us over the years. So I really enjoyed this documentary. I thought it was um, really funny. I thought it was very educational informative, entertaining. Uh, The people that they interviewed were very uh, authoritative and also were interesting people, entertaining people that I hadn't really heard of. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just all about basically the separation of church and state and how important that is in the framework of the United States. I mean, people want to defend the Second Amendment as much as they possibly can, but those are the same people that have no problem with the Ten Commandments being posted outside of a public building when that directly violates the First Amendment, which I think we could all agree is more important one than the Second Amendment is. I mean, uh, if you're not first, you're last, right? I mean, that's what Ricky Bobby taught me. So anyway, funny movie, interesting movie. If you are interested in this kind of subject at all, I urge you to see it. If you're interested in American history uh, and current American history and where – These myths about America being a Christian nation when, in fact, it was totally not that like the whole point of it was that it was not a Christian nation. It was a nation free of the shackles of some certain church running the place. Uh, But people have bent the narrative in the last hundred years, really the last 60, 70 years to tell us that this is a country founded by Christians, for Christians, for white people, whatever. Uh, This movie will show you the real history and the things that you weren't being taught. Uh, by your parents and your grandparents. So uh, just an interesting movie. And there's a central plot there that keeps you engaged as well. The central plot of the movie is that the Satanist um, group that just continues to be growing across the United States wants to uh, erect this really impressive looking and kind of funny statue of a demon with two children that he's, you know, patting on the head. Um, They want to erect that at any state capitals where the Ten Commandments are erected. And so that's the way they're able to get these kind of um, ordinances to put up a Ten Commandments statue. That's how they're able to get them thrown out because they're like, well, if you put that up, you have to put ours up because, you know, you can't show favoritism to one religion and not to other ones. So if you're going to put that one up, that's fine. Put You got to put ours up as well. But the whole point of it, obviously, is they don't want their statue up. And they don't want the other one up. The, the only reason they're even putting their statue there is just to show you how hypocritical it is to put a statue of the Ten Commandments up. So it's really just all funny. And if you like rebellion and if you like, you know, people who just kind of fly in the face of authority, then I think you will enjoy this movie and part of you will uh, certainly empathize with them and what they're trying to do. I got to tell you, you know, watching this movie in a foreign theater. So the, the whole movie's about the United States and our own battles with freedom of religion and freedom uh and the state not endorsing any religion it was a little embarrassing to watch this in a room full of european people and full of irish people cuz they were all laughing like the whole time at just how stupid the american lawmakers sounded that the movie you know had in it and just how ridiculous they sounded and so it was again. It was kind of embarrassing because we're probably the only Americans that happened to be in the theater. There were only like twenty some people in the theater probably that night. So uh, you know, we were the only ones sitting there. I think front row center, a couple of ganks, and but then I was kind of reminded that Ireland, you know, has its own long history of battling uh, with, you know, people wanting to break away from the church and not being allowed to and religion kind of shackling them down a little bit more. So Ireland's kind of one of those places that uh, they kind of wish they had some of the freedoms that we have uh, as far as, you know, what we're allowed to um, say about religion. But I think, you know, in recent years, Ireland's become a lot more liberal than we, we were. I mean, they were Uh, really the first country to legalize gay marriage and we are still kind of dragging our heels in that and people are still trying to shut that down so anyway this movie hail satan was really just interesting and enlightening as far as american history and the american history that i'm really a fan of which is what these people are fighting to get you to remember so it was directed by a woman named penny lane great name right um who does some of the, uh, you can hear her voice a little bit in the movie, kind of asking questions. She doesn't narrate, though, there's not, there's not a narrator in this uh, documentary. It's very straightforward and is just a, a fun watch and an enlightening watch as well that I think a lot of people need to see to remember what makes America so great, like what the promise of it is and what the ori- original promise of it was that we've kind of gotten away from over the years. So, hail Satan. With a question mark. It is in theaters right now and should be streaming very soon, I have to imagine. So check it out at a little art house theater near you because I doubt it's going to be showing in any of the big multiplexes near where Just you live. always been an extremely curious person. And I, I used to spend a lot of time at the bookstore alone because I was a huge loser. Because I don't like to be involved in groups.
1: I'm not a very social person. Most of my interactions are online.
0: It wasn't until I, I took that step to try to meet these people. That's where it really all came together, and I was terrified that I was just going to meet a bunch of people that were like, all right, so we're going to meet up at the church, we'll hand out spray paint cans, and we'll kick over some graves. And everyone was amazing. I came from a very, like, conservatively religious background. I was very much a devout Christian growing up. You could almost say a zealot. I've taught
1: Bible school in our church. I've taught Sunday school in our church. And at the age of 13, I was called to be a deacon.
0: The day that I graduated confirmation, you know, we're sitting in church and, you know, we're supposed to feel the Holy Spirit come in. And I'm just like, OK. While we're on the subject of documentaries, I watched another one Um Before we left for our trip that really shook me up that I thought I should mention to you and give a kind of tentative recommendation um, for you to watch only if this kind of thing will not uh, bug you too much. So if you're sensitive to issues that involve suicide, then this may not be the movie for you. But then again... If it's something that you in your own life have considered, as so many people have, um, then I think this is a movie that maybe you should watch because of uh, kind of what its messages are and what kind of some of the testimonials that you will hear are. So the movie's called The Bridge. It came out in 2006. You can find it uh, somewhere on home video streaming uh, on DVD. It's not streaming for free anywhere, but you can rent it on various streaming services if you look it up. Again, it's called The Bridge. It's from 2006. A bunch of things have been called The Bridge over the years. It's a popular title, so it might be hard to find, but it is from the year 2006, and it's a documentary. So what this movie is, this is a truly wild and shocking and upsetting at times movie. It's a very controversial movie, and you'll understand why in a second. So the director is a guy named Eric Steele. He never made a movie before. Um, He... Was learning about uh how common it is that people kill themselves on the Golden Gate Bridge. So the Golden Gate Bridge is one of the most photographed, you know, uh man-made landmarks in the entire world. And it's one of the most famous landmarks in the entire world, certainly in the United States. But it is also the most popular place for people to kill themselves because it's high enough off the water. There are no like high guardrails. So it's very easy to just, and you and people walk along the bridge all the time. So it's very easy to just climb over the rail and jump and die. So people like, it's like a weekly thing that people kill themselves there. Like there's a, a dozens of people kill themselves every year on the golden gate bridge. So Eric Steele was fascinated by this was kind of surprised by this. So what he did was he got, uh, some camera equipment, these really long zoom lenses, um, and he hired some young you know, people interested in filmmaking, students and stuff like that, to help him by setting up cameras on each side of the Golden Gate Bridge, two cameras, and sitting there all day for an entire year with the camera trained on the one spot where you can climb over and kind of jump off. And he ended up capturing, I think it was... Like 30 different people jumping off and killing themselves in that one year. So, just a year of filming at the Golden Gate Bridge, the specific spot, they ended up capturing 30 people on camera. They ended up actually saving two people's lives because if they saw some of the warning signs that somebody was like pacing back and forth, standing around for a while, uh, for way too long than people normally do. Um, looking too contemplative, whatever, they would call the bridge patrol and get them to kind of help that person. But a lot of the, with the other people, they just couldn't, like, it was just too sudden. They couldn't help them at all. So, anyway, you got a guy who filmed 30 people killing themselves. And he wants to make a movie about this and look into each person's life. And that's what happens in this movie. So, you've got this guy interviewing, obviously, not the person themselves, but the people who they were close to, their friends, their family, talking about what led them to this. And what you're seeing as you're hearing this unfold, you're seeing that person walking back and forth on the bridge, uh, thinking, um, climbing over the rail, maybe climbing back off the rail, uh, and ultimately ending their life. And you are actually seeing this on camera. And you're seeing this person jump off of this you know, a couple hundred foot tall bridge. And then you see a little splash down at the bottom in the water. Um, and that's the, that signifies a person's life ending, you know? So it's a, it is intense and it's easily one of the most shocking movies that I have ever watched before. I've talked before on this podcast about the most shocking movies I've ever watched. I talked about the movie faces of death and how ultimately it was all fake so it really you know kind of lost its edge after i found out it was all fake but this one is not fake these are real these are people really killing themselves um in a movie and i was i had never heard of this movie i ended up finding out about it through a story that i was writing about uh you know kind of shocking documentaries um but yeah it came out in 2006 it's an american film And it's very controversial because people were very divided. Like if you look at the critical consensus on it, it's a split pretty much 50-50. Some filmmakers thought it was so powerful, so unsettling, and so important as far as its subject matter because it really gets into why did these people do it? Like what led this person to do it? And I'm actually seeing them do it. And it really puts a face to suicide instead of just reading the numbers, which don't mean a whole lot to you. So it really makes you feel a certain way. Because you're seeing this person in the last moments of their life and all you want to do is reach into the screen, grab them, give them a hug, pull them off, uh, talk to them and, uh, you know, find out what's going on with them. But you find out through their families and through their friends and then, you know, you see what happened. And it's just uh, I I mean, I don't know that I've seen another movie quite like it. It really did upset me. I didn't it, it didn't really make me. It didn't make me really cry. But it just left me feeling kind of empty and 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 stunned, so I think it's a movie worth watching if you can handle it um you know i mean this isn't it's not gory or anything like that because again you're seeing essentially what you see when the person jumps is they just splash and it's but it is hard to watch. I turned away several times when it looked like somebody was about to jump, and some of them are just so stunning because like I said they would usually they would call the bridge patrol if they had spotted someone who they thought looked like they might be wanting to jump. But there's one guy who just, he's on the phone. He's on it. He's on his cell phone chatting with somebody, hangs the phone up, puts the phone on the ground, takes off his backpack and just jumps like right then. There was not even a second of, you know, contemplation about it at that moment. I'm sure he had contemplated it plenty if it brought him to that point. Um, but, I mean, some of the people just do it so quickly. And then other people, you know, they're they're walking around. They're unsure. What are they going to do? And and one woman, even you see her get pulled back over the fence by just a bystander, a guy who was out there snapping photos. He isn't involved in the film. He's just a photographer who was out f- taking photographs on top of the bridge. He sees this woman, sees that she's about to jump, and he grabs her by the coat and pulls her up over the fence Uh, And the woman ended up, you know, getting not arrested, but taken in. And, you know, I guess uh, I don't know if they take you to a hospital or what when that happens. I think they have to. But anyway, so there are some really crazy things that you see in this movie. But it's just it's just shocking. I have never seen the subject of suicide handled in such a head on way. As this movie does it, and again it 's a documentary, so it 's just it 's as real as it 's going to get so the bridge from two thousand and six if this sounds like something you can handle or you're interested in uh, find it on DVD. I found it actually at the library the Columbus Library they had it it 's a documentary so i 'm sure if you're if you have a library near you that 's worth half a damn, they will probably have a copy of it in their circulation if you want to look into it but again, not an easy watch at all. Um, Definitely will shake you up, but has some important things to say about suicide. And there's even one guy they interview who survived his jump. He's one of like a handful of people who have ever lived through jumping, and he goes through it moment by moment of what happened, and and he thought he was dead. And then he wakes up and, and, you know, seeing his father at the hospital after he's come out of this, you know, I mean, he's broken his legs and stuff like that. And his reflections on it and how he felt, what led him to that moment, I mean, because there's no decision you can ever make in life that's more final than that. That's the most that's the ultimate decision that anyone would make. So, it it's just uh uh just a, a shocking movie. I was genuinely shocked by this movie, but moved by it as well. It was I don't think I wouldn't call it a snuff film as some people have said because it's way more than that. That's not the point of this. It's not like he's not glorifying it. He's not trying to be like, look at this person die. He's not showing it like in slow-mo and you know, it's nothing like that. It's a very sensitive movie about a very sensitive subject, but it just handles it in a take-no-prisoners kind of way. Uh, and you will not want to look at the screen sometimes, but it's important to hear what the people have to say about the people jumping because their reactions are all varied, many and varied, and the things that the, these people were going through in their lives are all many and varied. And it shows you, man, that suicide is just one of those things that you cannot predict a lot of times like these people were taken totally aback by the fact that their closest friend would kill themselves. Um, and in a way that's so grandiose, you know what I mean? This isn't cutting your wrists in your bathroom. This is going to the a major public place where people are taking photographs and jumping where everyone will see you. Um, so it says something about your personality and it says something about the kind of death you wanted. So, it's kind of a big statement. So it's just a lot going on in this movie, and uh, it was a shocker. I was, uh, again, I was stunned watching it. So it's called The Bridge. Came out in 2006, if you're interested in watching it. Um, nothing quite like it out there, I don't think. Okay, let me tell you about the best thing I watched this month. I always like to give you uh, toward the end of the show what my favorite thing that I watched, because I watch a lot every month, and there can only be one favorite thing I watched this month. The best thing that I watched in this past month. I'm going with another documentary. I watched a lot of documentaries this month, but this one was my favorite. So as we were getting ready to go to Ireland, I watched a few different travel films about Ireland and a nature documentary about Ireland that was called Ireland's Wild Coast. And this was the best thing I watched this month. It came out in 2017. It was a BBC PBS documentary. So it came. it's under the PBS label the copy that I watched. And if you see it in America, that's what it will be under. And again, it's called Ireland's Wild Coast. This movie is actually streaming right now on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it, uh, if you have a subscription to Amazon. So what it is, is this uh, lifelong nature photographer named Colin Stafford Johnson who uh, lives in Ireland. He lives on the West coast of Ireland and Ireland's West coast is known as one of the most beautiful places and untamed, untouched by humans places in the, you know, settled world. And there's just so much different wildlife and so many different breathtaking sites you can find along the West coast of Ireland. Um, and Colin Stafford Johnson was like, I've lived here for a while, but I've never gone up the entire coast, and I want to do that. So he's in a rowboat, and he goes up the entire west coast of Ireland. He, it takes him a year to do it. He's not doing it nonstop; he's taking breaks and stuff. But he's, you know, got a little camera crew out there with him, and he stops at each place, gives you like a, a detailed look into that place, into its wildlife, into how it came to, you know, look the way it looks these days. And it is just a beautiful film. It's two hours long. And again, he goes up the entire west coast of Ireland. And the variety of wildlife, the variety of scenes that you are witnessing are just incredible that these could all come from one island. And I think Colin Stafford Johnson is such a natural in doing this. His delivery is so calming. And his writing is just so tender. I've never seen a... I've watched a lot of nature documentaries. I watched the PBS show nature all the time. It's one of my favorite TV shows ever. I watch nature documentaries a lot and I love all the, uh, you know, David Attenborough ones. They're great. Attenborough's the King. Nobody will ever touch him. But I think Colin Stafford Johnson is a really good person who could take up the mantle from Attenborough when Attenborough uh, at some point dies. I mean, he's just going to, it's going to happen. He's been doing these nature films for about 50 years, but uh, I think, you know, he might, maybe he'll live forever. But anyway, Stafford Johnson is really good and so just calming. And this movie, I'm going to be honest with you. Ireland's Wild Coast moved me to tears more than once. I legitimately had tears in my eyes watching this nature documentary. I, it happens sometimes, but nature documentaries, a lot of times, are so like hardcore because, you know, nature is fucking hardcore, man. It is not. For the faint of heart. It's not what Disney makes it look like. Like animals are just brutal to each other. And all they care about is propagating their species and eating. That's all they care about. Don't care about anything else. They will eat anything that gets in their way or run it off a cliff or whatever. Like they're just, they're focused strictly on survival. And they're not trying to enjoy themselves. Most animal species aren't anyway, some are but they're not really focusing on just having a good time or whatever like we are. So but this movie was so tender. Some of the things that he talks about and shows and his genuine love of nature came through so much that I had tears in my eyes more than once uh watching this film. I just thought it was beautiful. The the photography's breathtaking, the narration's great, the writing's fantastic, the variety of nature to be seen all across Ireland, beautiful. Uh, it made me immediately kind of want to find a wooded area near me in Ohio and just see what lives there because he makes the point that you just you never know what 's out there unless you go check it out. It made me want to get a canoe and just kind of go down the ohio river i mean it's it's just a really inspiring and and beautiful movie beautiful is the best word I can describe for this so if you like nature documentaries at all or maybe you 've never really watched one, this is a a good little gateway drug for you, I think that will make you like. The Beauty of Nature Documentaries, it's called Ireland's Wild Coast. came out in 2017. It is on Amazon Prime streaming right now if you want to watch it. That is the best thing that I watched this month and is right up there with the absolute best nature docs I've ever seen. So uh, you definitely owe yourself to go see this one.
1: And that voice, it's telling the other males to stay away. Don't mess with me. Some of them have been rolling in the mud. Sometimes you'll get them with grass attached to their antlers. And that's all about making themselves look bigger. The only thing that these guys have on their mind right now is fatherhood. It's fatherhood or failure. It's all they live for. And if you're not strong enough and powerful enough, then... You will never become a father.
0: All right, finally, other movies now streaming right now on Netflix and Amazon. I always like to give you something funny and something serious on both Netflix and Amazon. It's new for the uh, month that we're talking about. And uh, I got to say, the pickings were a little bit uh, slim this time for both of them, but I'm going to give you four movies that I actually enjoyed a lot uh, first time I saw them. And I've seen uh, three of these multiple times now, and I've enjoyed them every time I've watched them. So... Something funny on Netflix first off from 2008 it's Adam Sandler's You Don't Mess With the Zohan and this movie looks if you watch the trailer it looks like the dumbest shit you have ever heard of uh it's about a guy who named Zohan who was in the Israeli army who was like the ultimate badass just could kill anyone you know could take on a whole he's like he's like Bruce Willis if Bruce Willis was you know from Israel and just a total badass but his real dream is that he wants to be a hairdresser, and so he comes to the United States and and uh, becomes a hairdresser. So it's a totally just goofy premise, but the movie is really done well. It's got really some sharp little political jokes in it, uncommon for an Adam Sandler movie, and it's really really funny in some parts. I remember seeing this in theaters and dying, and that was at the point I was in two thousand eight. I was way beyond the point of just loving Adam Sandler movies, uh, but to me, this is probably like his last really good comedy. So it's on Netflix right now. You don't mess with the Zohan. I'm not saying it's going to change your life. I mean, it's not going to be like the funniest movie you've ever seen, but pretty good one, Little Jim from from Sandler that does have some really funny moments in it that I still quote to this day. Also on Netflix, something serious for you. 2003's Mystic River. I've probably recommended this one before. Um, It kind of rotates through the streaming services, but this one just blows me away every time. might be Clint Eastwood's finest moment as a director, which is really saying something. And this to me is the best of all those Boston movies. Like you've got the departed and you've got Gone Baby Gone. Um there were a bunch of great Boston movies, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, but to me, Mystic River is the best of all of them. And it was the kind of the first of those. Not it wasn't before Goodwill Hunting, but of those kind of dramas set, the crime dramas set in Boston. Uh The Town was another good one. They're all good, but Mystic River is phenomenal. It's, it'll put you on your ass. And it has some of the best acting. Sean Penn, to me, it's the best performance Sean Penn ever gave. Kevin Bacon's fantastic in it. Lawrence Fishburne. Tim Robbins is uh, incredible in it. The, the whole cast is is amazing. So, And it's got one of the ultimate gut-punch endings that you will ever see in a movie. So Myst- Mystic River, if you've never sat through it, give it a watch because it's an unforgettable movie. Uh, Should have won Best Picture and it is on uh, Netflix right now. Actually, I don't think it should have because I think it was up against the return of the King. So I can't take, I can't take it away from return of the King, but Mr. Rivers is a great, great film. All right. And on Amazon prime right now, something funny for you. There really weren't any good new comedies. So what I'm going to give you in the something funny category is 1997's the fifth element, because this movie does have some funny stuff in it. It's really just a sci-fi action movie. But it's definitely got some funny stuff in it. Gary Oldman as the villain, so over the top. He makes you laugh. Um, Chris Tucker's really funny in it. Uh, even Bruce Willis is pretty funny in this one. Um, and uh, I just, I love this movie. I think it's one of the best sci-fi movies of all time, really. it's And it's certainly the sci-fi action, there's, there's almost nothing like it. It's, it's totally original in pretty much everything that it does. So I really like The Fifth Element. If you like sci-fi at all and you've never seen it, Give it a watch. I think you'll really, really like it. It's just a cool movie that you'll never forget. And something serious for you on Amazon uh, Prime right now, Mission Impossible Fallout. I uh, picked this as one of my top five favorite movies of 2018. So last year it was on my list of the five best movies of the year, and I stand by that. I've watched it again since, and it was only better. I think it's the best of all the Mission Impossible movies, and I think all of them except for part two, are really good if not great so yes i think mission impossible fallout is the best of all of them and you can check it out right now on amazon uh prime streaming for you it's intense man it's one of those white knuckle movies and tom cruise does some of the best work of his entire career especially as an action star uh, in this one so i cannot recommend it anymore all right that's going to do it for the stream police podcast thanks for hanging out with us my friend we'll talk to you again in a month uh, again, I'm Clint Davis. You can find me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis. Same on Twitter as well. M R Clint Davis. And you can write me at theclentdavis at gmail.com. T H E, Clint Davis at gmail. Talk to you guys next time. Until then, stream on. Planning for your next trip?